0: Here's what Psalm 130 verses 5 through 8 says. I wait for the Lord. And this idea of waiting also has to do with hope. I wait for the Lord. My whole being waits. And in his word, I put my hope. I wait for the Lord more than watchmen wait for the morning, more than watchmen wait for the morning when their shift is over and they realize that they've ensured another day of peace for the city. Israel, put your hope in the Lord, for with the Lord is unfailing love, and with him is full redemption. He himself will redeem Israel, the people of God, from all their sins. And that line that's repeated that must be important, like watchmen wait for the morning, that idea of waiting and watching for the morning, it reminds me, I think, and maybe many of us, we've got a lot of elementary school kids in the room today, it reminds you of Christmas morning. That there is an expectation, there's an excitement, there's a waiting for Christmas morning that as kids you certainly experience and I think as adults you do as well. I remember it as a child in my family, my sister was 12 years older and my parents were a little older when they had me. And so by the time I was 4, five, six, seven, eight, that's kind of the sweet spot I think for Christmas and Santa, I had an angsty teenage sister and everybody was kind of over it. And so so to, to kind of like make those worlds not collide, there was a rule. All of our bedrooms were down this long hallway in our house, but the rule was that I couldn't cross like from the hallway into the rest of the house until everybody else was up. And I can remember vaguely, but I've been told stories about me waking up at who knows when and sitting at the end of the hallway obediently, wish I was that obedient today, just kind of rocking back and forth, just out of expectation and hope and excitement until finally my angsty teenager sister and my parents would get up so we could go in and look at the presents. And there was this expectation based upon I'd seen the presents for days. And I had experienced previous Christmases. I knew how this played out. Every Christmas, there was a confidence that this was going to be good. Maybe I didn't get everything I wanted, but every other year, we walk in there, we get the presents, we open them, and it's really exciting. And so the expectation, the hope that I felt, was justified. I think that, unfortunately, that's not how we experience hope and how we talk about hope today. So what I hope to do in the next 15-ish minutes... is is we're going to walk through what I think is the process of hope that we as individuals and we as a culture go through. And that process of hope is a real process that we walk through, but it'll actually lead us to what I think is the biblical hope at the end. And I think this process of hope that we're going to walk through, it's going to help explain why our experience of hope is so ultimately uh, kind of up and down in a disappointing fashion. I think that what we think of as hope is a cheap replacement for the biblical hope that is found in Jesus that we'll talk about at the end. So to begin, here's the first way and the steps of the process of hope. The first way is hope as wish. Hope as wish. You can see we use this in English language. You say hope, and what you really mean is wish. Like, for instance, maybe you had this conversation in your head or this morning or tomorrow or last week where somebody goes, how do you feel about the Chiefs game on Christmas Day? And you say, I hope our receivers don't drop every other pass. That's not an expectation, that's a wish. There's nothing that has happened in the last few months that would give me the confidence and the expectation that that's actually gonna happen. So that's just a wish, but that's how we use the word hope, that's how we think about hope. I hope I win the lottery. I hope I lose 15 pounds without changing anything about my lifestyle. (laughs) These are all good wishes for good things, but that's all they are, they're just wishes. We should have no confidence in an expectation of their reality. The second step of the process of hope, we go from hope is wish to hopelessness. And that feels like a big jump, but hear me out. I think how we experience it, there's two ways that I think we get to hopelessness or disappointment in the world, and maybe you're coming in here feeling this way this morning. The first way is we wish and we want for good things. They're not bad things, they're good things. Career, achievement, family, peace in our family, experiences. Material things. We wish and we want for them, but the things that we wish for we don't get. And the cumulative effect of wishing and wanting for good things that we do not get eventually leads us into some sort of disappointment or hopelessness. That's the first way we can wish for things but not get them. The second way that I think wishing leads to hopelessness is that we wish for things, good things, we wish for things and we get them and they don't satisfy. You can have the experiences. You, 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 you get the career achievement. You get the raise. You get the promotion. You get the Christmas present you wanted. You get the car that you wanted. You get the house and the marriage and the kids and the grandkids. And you have all these hopes for those things. You wish for them to be true. And then there's still this ache. That no matter how good they go, They don't actually truly satisfy. Your wishes came true, but in the end it still wasn't enough. And I think that hopelessness is even darker and deeper than the previous one. And I think it can be explained by you look at celebrities and rich people and famous people and you wonder why does it seem like they struggle with substance abuse and alcoholism and divorce and emotional problems, and suicide, and depression, more than the average public. And I think it's because they wished for the things, they got most of them, and it didn't satisfy them, and now what's left? So this is the process of hope. We go from, 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 from wishing, hope as wish, to hope through hopelessness. Here's a quote that's a little dark, but I think it's important. Andrew Dolbanco says this about America. He's an author. He says, any history of hope." In America, must make room at its center, this is a haunting line, for this dogged companion of hope, this thing that just comes alongside of hope, if we're able to admit it and be honest. And it's the lurking suspicion that all our getting and spending amounts to nothing more than fidgeting while we wait for death. A dark quote for Christmas, but here's the reality. I think for us to appreciate and experience the hope that we have in Christ, we have to feel and experience and ponder the hopelessness that is without him. And that if that's all that life is, if it's just 75 or 85 or 95 Christmases, if that's all there is, well, it's tough to argue that all of our spending and all of our getting All of our wishing, all of our optimism, all of it, it's just fidgeting around waiting for death to come if there's nothing else. Now obviously as Christians and as a church, we believe there is something else, but I think we need to wrestle with the reality of what would happen if there wasn't. So we experience hope as wish, then we get to hopelessness. And next comes hope as optimism. You see, optimism is when we've got hopelessness or disappointment in life. And what we do, instead of just wishing, we look to a future where we can arrange the puzzle pieces and all the different circumstances together and they fit up nicely together so that our our longed future actually happens. That's what optimism is. Now, the difference between optimism and wishing is that in optimism, you're planning, you're trying to be wise, you're giving effort and all those things. So, So the likelihood of the future coming together as you would want it to be, probably is a little more likely than the Chiefs catching a bunch of passes tomorrow. That's optimism. But here's the problem with optimism. If that's our hope, if that's what hope is, the problem with optimism is you and I are not in control of it. It's a little better than wishing, but at the end of the day, there are factors outside of your control. You can have a great plan. You can work really hard. You can be a great person. You can do all the right things. You can envision the puzzle pieces all coming together to give you the future that you want, and there's other people involved that are evil and other people that have their own wishes and other people that have their own plans and stock markets that crash and weather patterns that change, and you have no control over those things. So even though optimism is better than wishing, my, the two questions that I would challenge optimism as a lifestyle or a worldview of how I'm going to live my life, I'm just going to be hopeful and optimistic and everything's going to turn out okay. Well, two, two objections to it. One is, do you really want, do we really want to pin our hopes on something that we can't have control over? And then secondly, flashback to the rest of your life. Are we so confident that the things that we hope for that we haven't had yet are actually going to scratch the itch that we've got? All the other plans we've made, all the other optimism, you and I have had up and down lives. There's been great things. There's been bad things. Nothing has made us satisfied entirely. And so why would we think that if all the puzzle pieces that we've compiled as a 20 or 30 or 40 year old, when we get to 70, everything's going to work out great? So this leads us to what I think the biblical idea of hope is. It's not just wishing. It's not just optimism, and it doesn't have to leave us at hopelessness or disappointment. Here's what the Scripture says. Hebrews 11, 1 says, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. You see, by definition, faith and hope have a future-oriented focus confidence in what we hope for and what we long for and what we're expecting and assurance about what we don't see because we're not in control of it we can't put all the puzzle pieces together but believe, we believe there's a god who can and does hebrews 6 says something similar we want each of you writing to a group of christians we want each of you to show the same diligence to the very end so that what you hope for may be fully realized this is the call of being a christian It's to continue to believe, to continue to trust, to continue to fight to love Jesus because in doing so there is an expectation that we will have all of our longings fully met sometime in the future. All of our hopes will come true. You see, this is what Hope actually is. It's a confident expectation. It's the the future-looking, confident expectation that there is a promise held that is different from the optimism of the world. It's different from the hopelessness. It's different from just wishing that someday Jesus, because he's God and because he came as a baby, then lived and died and rose again, that he has the power and the authority and the love and the ability to make everything sad become untrue to take away every tear, and that someday there is a place and an existence for us that has no more disappointment and no more anxiety and no more evil and no more sadness. That's the ultimate hope for the Christian. No matter how well or badly or average our puzzle pieces, our wishes and hopes and optimisms, whether they line up or not, No matter how good or how bad they are, they don't hold a candle to the eternity that has been promised and has been secured by the death, life, and resurrection of Jesus. Now, here's an objection. What about now? That's nice, pastor. Heaven, eternity, yeah, blah, 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 it's a long time between now and then. What about now? Well, here's how I would answer that. Attaching our hope, attaching our expectations and our longings to a promised future is not silly when our whole lives testify that this world does not satisfy the longings and expectations that we have. C.S. Lewis said, if nothing in this world satisfies us, then maybe we were made for another world. And so, yes, it is future-looking. But it's not like it doesn't have impact on us today. Here's how hope plays out today. Imagine two teachers. And imagine that you get them right out of college. And there's a certain lower teacher salary that many of you have experienced. And you hire these two teachers, and they're going to have the exact same job, the exact type of classrooms, exact type of students, exact type of administrators. Everything's going to be the same. But you tell these two teachers when they walk in the first day, when they're interviewing, they say, hey, here, this is going to be a tough job. And it's a two-year commitment, it's a two-year contract, so you don't get paid anything unless you actually fulfill the contract. But it's going to be rewarding, and we're going to pay you well, and it's going to be exciting, and it'll be worth it. And you tell teacher A that, hey, at the end of this, it's higher than the actual normal starting salary, you'll get $50,000 a year, $100,000 total to do this job. And you tell teacher B, hey, we're going to give you a million dollars, $500,000 a year for these two years if you do the job. Now, imagine you flash forward to May when all of the behavior and the attention spans have just plummeted. And the dog days at the end of the semester is upon you. And these two teachers by themselves are sitting in the teacher lounge. And they're exhausted. And it's been hard. And teacher A is like, "I I don't know if it's worth it. Like, yeah, it's better than the regular teacher's salary, but I don't, know if I, can hold, I don't know if I can do this another year. It's hard. And teacher B, because they have a different future promise in store, they look at it and they go, yeah, it's hard, but it's totally worth it, and I'm actually still excited to teach and engage with these kids. That's how hope, while being future-oriented, gives us a different attitude and a different outlook on life today because we know that the way that we live and the trusting of Jesus and the things that he's given us are far worth it because we know what we're getting in the end. Here's the definition of hope. Hope is a confident expectation that our longings will increasingly be satisfied in a relationship with Jesus and ultimately so in heaven. That yes, ultimately it's gotta be future and eternally focused, but it has deep implications for us today. Now there's a couple more objections. I said earlier that the one objection is, "Well, what about now?" The the second objection is this: "Well, how can I be confident that that's going to happen? What if I live my whole life and I live the 40 years and I do the right things and I come to church and I and I and I really treasure and follow and try to trust in Jesus, and then that's a big gamble." So then why would I have confidence now? And, and hope, while always being future-oriented, it was always bound in the past. In the Old Testament, when any time in the Psalms that we read earlier, the Isaiah passages, when you were talking about here's the hope of redemption, here's what God's going to do to the people of Israel, the confidence with which to hold that future expectation and longing was the fact that he had led them out of Egypt in the exodus. Look what God has done. Look how much he loves us. Look at what his character is. Therefore, when he says, trust in me and you've got a future hope of glory, we can believe it. Now, the exodus was a long time ago, but the birth of Jesus wasn't quite as long ago. Here's how I think we can have confidence that this is all going to turn out true. The reality is, is that even though people dispute who Jesus was when he was born, nobody disputes who he was when he died. No Christian, no non-Christian, nobody disputes that, that this, this baby who was born in poverty, who was a carpenter, that that baby grew up, and as he got older, but he became a, an adult, he led a revolt. And every other revolt ever in the history of the universe, especially in Israel, that had risen up against Rome repeatedly, every time when the, the head of the revolt was killed, the whole revolt stopped. What happened when Jesus was killed is the whole thing multiplied. And it all started when Jesus was a baby. That the God of the universe didn't come as a prince or as a king or as a rich person or as a famous person. He came as a poor baby to be with us. And so as we come to communion, the confidence with which we can hold that hope and expectation and longing is found because we can trust that one day we'll be with him Because 2,000 years ago, he came down to be with us. And that baby did grow into a man. And he did live the life that you and I couldn't live. We each have an expectation. We each have an understanding of what morality and righteousness should look like. And each of us knows that no matter who God is and no matter what his standard is, we know that we have our own standards and we still fall short of our own. And if that's true, if we fall short of our own and if there is a God that is holy and we are not, then there has to be something done to get us right, to have, let us have a relationship with that God and that baby that came that we celebrate on Christmas. He ultimately lived the life that you and I couldn't live. He died the death that we were supposed to die. And in doing so, he offers each of us salvation and hope for not only eternity, but for today as well.